prophet, a good teacher, a religious leader, a revolutionary, a spiritual guide, the son of God. Many have described him in different ways, but who was Jesus really? How did his humble group of followers turn into the world's largest religion? Join us in January as we investigate the beginnings of the Jesus Revolution. Investigating Jesus, a revolution begins. A series at Stapleton Church. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Matt Wolfley, Pastor. We're going to jump into our Investigating Jesus uh, Movement Begin series in just a second, but I have some people to introduce. So why don't you come on over here? Jimmy Smith, our, our global outreach coordinator here in the church. Most of you know Jimmy. Uh, and this is Ismail and Julia Kaye and their two beautiful children. Um, and uh, Jimmy's going to kind of introduce them because we are sending a, a small, special, short-term global outreach team, a go team to Estonia leaving this week. So I'll let Jimmy explain. That is right. Thank you so much. Good to be here this morning. Um, you see these three beautiful people on the screen, and they're headed out on Tuesday. You're like, why are we sending people to Estonia in January? Don't we normally do that in July? And yes, we are, and yes, we will again uh, do that in July. But this team is going to do a special uh, survey trip with Beth Ann about her project for the next generation. Uh, so many times global outreach missions is limited to, you know, we fund missionaries, maybe some projects. And uh, then we go on a trip every now and then. We want to go deeper and longer than that in our partnerships and relationships with our missionaries and really move from owning the missionary to owning the mission with the missionary. And so we want to come alongside Beth Ann in a very special way on this project to help see it come to fruition over the next three years or so in more than just a way of sending an occasional team and just throwing some resources at it, but actually investing in the process with her and seeing it happen. And so this team is going to find those action steps that we are going to be processing. Uh, we've got our goals. We've got our framework. We've had a team that's been working on this with Beth Ann for uh, about a year now. And uh, now we've got a survey team that's going to go really investigate with her, with the other relationships and players involved, the action steps we can do as a church to help move this forward. So the survey team is just kind of the tip of the spear on this. Then we're going to be coming back and asking other people to engage as well. But anyway, Ishmael, I want you to tell just a little bit why you're excited to go and kind of what the team's going to be doing while they're over there. Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to uh, getting to meet uh, the people at the local church and getting to meet our missionaries more and just establish relationships, develop relationships, and be able to come back and report back to you guys uh, so you can hear um, what's happening and what God is doing over there. So. So we will be asking you to pray for this team this week. They leave on Tuesday. And then following their trip, we're going to be doing this debrief with the team. And we'd love to invite you to be a part of that and let Julia tell you about that in a little bit. Something very special about Julia is Julia is going to help lead this team that's going to uh, work on this focus with Beth Ann. I'm so, have you met Julia? If you have not, you need to. She's an amazing woman. Um, she tracked me down and was like pushing me forward. And you know I love to do this stuff, right? And so she's on my case all last summer kind of pushing me forward, saying, when are we getting going on this? When are we meeting again? And I'm like, hmm, maybe I should give her some responsibility. <laughs> and she has been doing an amazing job. We work very well together. I'm so excited about her involvement in all this. I want to share a little bit, Beth, with you what's going to happen on February 2nd. Yeah. Hi, everyone. In case you haven't met me, I'd love to meet you guys um, in person more. But yeah, I'm Julia, and it's been really fun working with Jimmy. It's, I mean, he really got me involved, <laughs> even though I was communicating with him. But um, so 
yeah, helping to lead this team is awesome. And on February 2nd, after the team has returned on January 28th, on February 2nd, that Sunday, we'll be having a meeting, just a debrief for people who are interested to know what um, they found out, what it was like, and um, then what the action steps will be going forward. There's already members of the congregation who are going to be coming, but you guys, anyone who's uh, is welcome to come, um, it's going to be that day, 12.30 to 2.30 in the afternoon. Um, you can reach out to me or to Jimmy. We can talk to you more about it, or you can just come that day. So, thanks. So, yeah, we'd love to have you there. Part of the way that this the only way this works is if it goes beyond these small teams and really gets into the heart of our church and that we get more people involved and activating on this uh, focus with Beth Ann. So if you're interested at all, please come and find out more about that. If you want to kind of be on this core team that's forming and you haven't heard anything about it, talk to me, talk to Julia. If you're interested in inputting in just a little bit with the team, we'd love to talk to you about that as well. But February 2nd, after the second service, 1230 to 2.30 in just a couple of weeks, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Can we pray for this team as they're going out? God, thank you so much uh, for Ismail and uh, Dave and Alexa as they uh, leave this week for Estonia. God, we love Beth Ann. We're so excited for what you're doing in her and through her uh, in this part of the world, very difficult part of the world, and, and the things she's experiencing right now in the heart of winter where it's dark and it's cold and, and you know the holiday season has been lonely. God, we pray that this team would be a massive encouragement to her and lift her up at this time. And as they work together, uh, to, to investigate the opportunities within this focus, to see this very, very, very important project come to fruition so that we can see lives and hearts changed in Estonia uh, in, in a very uh, specific way. Uh, and we just thank you for this strategy that she's developed. We're excited to partner with her in this. Bless this team as they go. Bring them back with great information that we can continue to move forward with in our church. In your great name we pray. Amen. God bless. All right. Thank you, guys. And be praying for them. They head out Tuesday. Tuesday. Kids, thanks for staying in here for that part. Jesus is on a rescue mission. Did you know that? Jesus is on a rescue mission. He is a Savior who wants to take people who are lost, who are far away from God, and help them become found. He wants to take people who are broken and restore them. People who are hurting and heal them. People who are suffering and bring them out of that trial into a time of triumph. Jesus is on a rescue mission. Do you believe that? See, when I talk about Jesus on a rescue mission, and when he talked about his rescue mission, some people were excited. They were thrilled, they're enthusiastic, and they say, I want in, I want to be rescued, and I want to join on that mission. But then there were some other people who heard that message and hear that message even today and reject it. Don't want anything to do with that kind of Jesus. Why? Why is it that Jesus, when he went to his hometown for the first time, once he began his ministry and started preaching, why is it that when he went to the first, his hometown and preached one sermon, they drove him out of town and tried to kill him by throwing him off a cliff? And I have a picture of that very cliff in his hometown of Nazareth. Why did they want to kill him? That's a 600-foot drop because he announced to them that he is on a rescue mission. Why is it? Well, that's the question we're going to look at today because the person and the work of Jesus divides people. That some people are enthusiastic, excited, on board, I love this, I need this, and others are saying, no way, I don't want anything to do with it, even wanting to reject and even kill Jesus. Why is it that there's a separation? Well, that's what we're going to look at today as we continue to investigate Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14, and we're actually going to go through the end of the chapter. Follow along on a smartphone. We'll have the verses up here. In this series, we're covering big chunks of Scripture. Have you noticed? 
And what that means is I don't read every single verse while we're here that morning, but every verse is important, so read it on your own, okay? But we're going to start in in chapter 4, verse 14, as Jesus really begins his ministry. And if you weren't here last week, we were introduced to Jesus as the grown man. And he got baptized, and we heard about his genealogy. We learned that he was called by the Father in heaven, the Son of God, so he's equal with God, 100% God, but also that he is 100% human. And we talked about that and what that was like when he went into the desert then to be tempted by the devil. And I just want to show you so you have a little bit of visual idea in your mind where these things are taking place. So here is Judea, which is modern-day Israel. Um, And this is the Jordan River going from the Sea of Galilee all the way to the Dead Sea. And, and right there, probably somewhere east of the Jordan down here, was where Jesus was baptized by John. And then right after that, we know that he was sent into the wilderness. And, and that would have been that desert somewhere east of where he was baptized. We don't know exactly where, but it was somewhere that he had a face-to-face um, challenge with, with the devil who tempted him for 40 days, and Jesus didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. But he passed the test, which is amazing. He passed the test, and then immediately he started his ministry. He started his ministry. So he actually went north to Galilee. He went north to Galilee. And Galilee is this region in Israel, so this was part of the Promised Land, but Galilee was often called Galilee of the Gentiles, meaning it was an area where there was a lot of Greek people, a lot of non-Jewish people. There weren't a lot of believers in the one true God. Um, And it was actually just in about the 2nd century B.C., so about 200 years, that even some Jews had started to migrate there and start to set up cities there. So there's little tiny outposts, including one that we're going to talk about today called Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. The outpost among all the other non-believing sinners, right? And that's where Jesus grew up. But that's where he decided to start his ministry as well. But he didn't start his ministry in Nazareth. He started in a town called Capernaum. And it was there in Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, which is actually probably a big town for the time because it was there on the Sea of Galilee where there would be a lot of fish activity. We're going to get to some fishermen next week. Um, It was also a a route where you could go east and north. So there's a lot of people. It was a metropolitan town. And that's where Jesus decided to start out. And while he was there, we're told just briefly about it here in the Gospel of Luke, but that he was beginning to preach and tell people about his message. And because of his preaching, he was growing in popularity. People wanted to hear him. And there was also probably some miracles that he was performing. Wow, people want to hear about that. They want to see it for themselves, experience it for themselves. So people from all over the area of Galilee are coming to Capernaum to hear Jesus and his ministry as he preaches again and again and again. But then he decides to go home. We don't know why. We don't know if he wanted to visit his family or maybe it was homecoming week. Um, We're not really told. Maybe there's the big football game. But he goes back from Capernaum to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was not a metropolitan city. It was a very small town. At this point, probably somewhere between 100 and 300 people lived there. Very tiny, right? In a small town where everyone knows your name. And everyone knew little Jesus, Josephson, (laughs) who grew up, and they all would have seen him grow up, they knew him well, and now they're starting to hear about him as this preacher, this miracle worker. They're curious when he comes home. And here's a little um, extra bonus point for some of you guys, a little bit of tidbit, um, that it says that Jesus was a carpenter. Well, the Greek word carpenter just meant that he was like a craftsman. So a lot of people think, well, he was a carpenter, like worked with wood, but actually in Nazareth there weren't very many trees. Instead, there was actually a stone quarry So probably Jesus was a stonemason who worked with his dad, learned the trade, was working all over that region to build buildings. All the houses there are made out of stone, in case you're wondering. And even one of the buildings that he was building might have been the synagogue there in Nazareth. 
Now, we don't know what that synagogue looked like, but we actually have, through archaeology, uncovered the synagogue from Capernaum, which we'll get to in the second half of our message. And it was there. I just want you to see this because Jesus goes into Nazareth, and on Saturday, when everybody goes to worship, they go to the synagogue. And here is some of the excavation of it. You see these pillars, and you see these benches along the sides? That's where people would have sat, okay? There was no pews. There wasn't you know, foldable chairs like this. They would have sat on the edges, and someone in the middle would have read the scriptures and delivered a message, a sermon of those days. So this is kind of what it looks like in Capernaum. This one's probably bigger than the one in Nazareth. Um, but we can also see this picture of it and that you can see here. There's the people sitting on those benches. And somewhere around here would be where people would read the scriptures and a message would be given. So Jesus comes in on the Sabbath day and it says in the scriptures in Luke here that it was his habit to do that. So in case you're wondering, Jesus went to church every week. Okay? So you should worship weekly. Okay? A little bonus point in there. But Jesus goes in. And what would have happened? We have some writings that kind of describe what happened in a normal synagogue service of this time. We don't know exactly what happened on that day in that location, but probably something like this happened. Everybody comes to assemble Saturday morning, the day for worship. And then they would have gotten out one of the scrolls, because they didn't have one leather-bound book that they got from Amazon, right, with all the scriptures, and that they had a scroll, and they would have read something from the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they read from that, have a reading from it, and then they would have said a, a very special prayer called the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad. The very special prayer from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which means, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Okay? In case you're ever wondering. And it's still something that Jews recite and observant Jews twice a day out of the same practice. So they would have said that. Probably would have been some other songs, like from the Psalms that they sang, some um, prayers that they said. But then there would have been a second reading of Scripture. And this would have been a reading from the prophets. So that latter section of what we consider our Old Testament. And it was there when they had this reading and then a message based on that reading that a visiting preacher, someone like Jesus, could give. And since they probably heard that, hey, Jesus, he's getting this following, he's this preacher, we want to hear from him, what, what does he have to say? So they bring out the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, and they hand it to Jesus to be this guest preacher for the day. And he opens it up to Isaiah chapter 61. And it's from there that we're actually going to read the scripture that he recites. Now we see it in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. So he reads from the Isaiah scroll and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's really interesting here, we don't even notice this. So he's quoting Isaiah chapter 61, but this line actually um, here Freedom for the prisoners actually comes from Isaiah chapter 58. What they think happened, because we know this has happened later in, in synagogue, was that he had the Isaiah scroll, and he was reading from Isaiah 61 in Hebrew, but everyone spoke Aramaic. So there's a translator translating for him, and what you were allowed to do is flip back and forth if you could do it on time without interrupting the, the schedule. So he probably flipped to Isaiah 51 and then back to Isaiah 61 when the translator was translating. And why did he do that? Probably it was showing him that he knows the breadth of Scripture. He knows where things are in it. He understands it. And this would have been something that impressed them. This is a, a teacher that knows his stuff. So Jesus reads from this section of Scripture. 
All eyes are on him. And one interesting thing that happened is that everyone would be standing for the reading of the scripture, and then they would sit down in addition to the preacher. The preacher would sit down for the message. Okay? That'd be nice for me. Maybe I should do that, right? Sat down, and everybody's eyes were on Jesus, waiting. What is he going to say? And he gave the most profound message and the shortest message in history. He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's it. (laughs) Some of you are like, Matt, I wish you would preach like that. One sentence, right? He said, today, this scripture, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He's saying, this scripture has been fulfilled. What Jesus is saying is that I am the fulfillment of this scripture. The anointed one, who the Holy Spirit comes on, the Messiah that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. I am He, and I am here on a rescue mission. You see, there are poor, and I bring them good news. There are people that are struggling, that are prisoners, and I have brought them freedom. Today it's happening. Recovery of sight to the blind. There's going to be healing in my name, and the oppressed set free. Today is the year of the Lord's favor. And this year of the Lord's favor reckons back to Leviticus chapter 25 when God's people were told that no matter how desperate people got, even when they were poor and sold everything they had, even selling their children into debt slavery, this is what happened. If you had no land left, no money, that in the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, everything would come back to you. Okay? Jesus is saying that freedom, that no matter how much debt you have, you're out of it, even if you're in slavery, you're set free, it's happening now in me. I am the fulfillment of this scripture. I am the rescuer. That's why Jesus said, I am on a rescue mission. That sounds amazing, right? That sounds like such good news. If you're struggling financially and you've experienced poverty, you're saying, yeah, if you can get me out of that, praise God, I want that. I want that rescue. If For those who are, are in prison, okay, it says prisoners. It doesn't say people falsely imprisoned or political prisoners or anything like that. No, no, no. Prisoners, meaning most of them did it. They are people that are bearing the guilt of their own sins and crimes. And Jesus is saying there's freedom for them. There's forgiveness for them. Now that's amazing. That's good news. For people in slavery that are oppressed, there's freedom, Jesus is saying. And if you've ever experienced that, you praise God with Him. You say, I want that. I have experienced that. It's so good. Now Melissa and I uh, lived in Nebraska for five and a half years. I was the pastor of a small church in a small town. It was 1,700 people, and I thought it was super tiny, right? I can't imagine the 100 to 300 in Nazareth, right? But there was one woman there, and we saw her all the time. And and this woman, we invited her to church many times. She never came. I remember Melissa personally inviting her to her Bible study, and even once the woman said, yeah, yeah, I'll come, and never showed up. Not interested at all in this Jesus stuff. And we left and moved away, and we're still Facebook friends with her, right? And then all of a sudden, last year, she started posting Scripture, (laughs) on Facebook, and then posting clips of preachers that were preaching and talking about books that she had read, Christian books. And I was like, what the heck happened? How did it go from that to this? And then just last December, she was baptized in the church that I'd pastored for years. I'm like, wow, what happened? Well, it turns out that whole time she was struggling with alcoholism and she was in the slavery of drug abuse. And now she had found freedom. And guess what? She couldn't keep her mouth shut about it. Every day she's posting multiple things about how Jesus has rescued her. Because if you've experienced this rescue from Jesus, you're saying it's the best thing in the world and I want everyone to know about it. 
But that's not how Jesus' hometown responded. His friends, his family members, the people he'd known his whole life don't respond that way. It says they're amazed. They're like, wow, he knows his stuff. Wow, I mean, that's a great sermon, really short. I, I like that, you know. Keep this guy around, right? That they're impressed that he could jump back and forth between the Isaiah scrolls so quickly that he knows his scriptures well. But then they start to have some questions and they're grumbling and wondering. And this is where we pick it up in the passage. Verse 22. Isn't this Joseph's son? We watched him grow up. That little kid? That little twerp? I don't know what they would have thought. Him? That blue-collar kid that was working in the stomach? He built my house. He fixed my bathroom. He's the Messiah? The rescuer? And Jesus kind of understood what was going on as they were grumbling and questioning and talking to each other. And it says that Jesus said to them, and jump down a little bit, it says, you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. He knows what they're thinking. He knows they're saying, if you really are the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer, show us some miracles. We've heard these miracles happening in Capernaum. Why don't we get to see them here? Prove it to us. Do you get that attitude that Jesus picks up on that they are expressing? And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then he says something that enrages them. He tells them two stories, actually recalls two stories from the scriptures, and you may know them. But the first one is from the prophet Elijah. He says, remember Elijah, that story from the book of First Kings, what we call it? So remember when Elijah was in the time of a great drought. There was famine in the land for three and a half years. No food to eat. There's no supermarkets. People are struggling, uh, striving, and, and they're getting ready to die. And there was, in fact, one widow who was getting ready to cook her last meal and die. That's what it says in the scriptures. And this widow was such in need that when Jesus said, give me some bread, your last bread, your last meal... She gave it to Jesus, I'm sorry, not to Jesus, but to Elijah. You guys are tracking with me. <laughs> gave it to Elijah. And then Elijah brings her son who dies back from the dead. But what Jesus points out is not that that miracle that Elijah had performed, but the fact that Elijah did it for a woman who was not a Jew. She was not part of the people of God. She lived in a foreign country out west of Israel. And it was that widow of Zarephath who believed and received the miracle. She was rescued. But he very deliberately says, but there were other widows in Israel who did, Elijah did not come to. Hmm. And then Jesus tells them a second story, this time from the prophet Elisha. And this time Elisha was performing a miracle because a man with leprosy came to him. This guy named Naaman. And Naaman wasn't a poor widow. He was actually a high-ranking general. But he was suffering from leprosy, this, this terrible skin disease that meant he had to be an outcast from society. And he comes basically begging at Elisha's doorstep, please heal me. And Elisha says, okay, now dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan River, that disgusting old river. And he won't do it, but then finally he humbles himself. says, I will do whatever it takes to be rescued. And guess what? He was. He had the miracle and he was healed immediately. But what Jesus points out is not that miracle, but that Naaman was not a Jew. He was a Syrian. 
He wasn't part of the believers, and yet he believed. And he specifically says there were other lepers in Israel who Elisha did not heal. Instead, he chose the Syrian. And it was at that point that Jesus' hometown kicks him out of the synagogue, drives him out of town, up to that cliff, and they're trying to kill him, and that somehow he slips away before they can murder him. Why would they get so angry wanting to murder this kid that they knew? I mean, they might not believe that he's a prophet, but to want to kill him? Why are they so angry at that? Well, think about those two stories. In both those stories, it was the people outside of the people of God who had enough faith, and they received the miracle, but the people of God in their stubbornness and arrogance who didn't receive the rescue. To make matters even worse is what Jesus didn't read in the scriptures that morning. Okay, you, you might not have noticed this, but he read from Isaiah 61. Remember, he opened up the scroll, Isaiah 61. He did jumping back and forth. But then he stopped kind of mid-sentence. You might not have noticed this, but in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, we see it. In there it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's where Jesus ended his scripture reading that day. He rolled it up and said, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But he didn't read the next line. And the day of vengeance of our God. See, what Jesus was saying is that while I'm here on this earth, I am the rescuer. I'm here to save and to heal and to restore and to find the lost and make them found. But I'm not coming with vengeance yet. I'm not coming with vengeance. I'm not here for revenge. I'm here for rescue and restoration. And this made them angry. Why? Because this was actually one of the most popular scriptures in Jesus' day. We have all these writings that people would write about it. And in fact, some of them would write it. And do you know who this vengeance was directed against? The Gentiles, the non-Jews, the Syrians, those people of Zarephath, those people that were outside of the people of God, they were the sinners, they deserved judgment, vengeance, and hell. And that's what the Savior is supposed to bring, right? We are the good ones, the upright ones. They are the ones who need vengeance. But Jesus didn't talk about that. He said, I'm here to rescue you. And if you won't accept it, just like Elijah, just like Elisha, I will go to others who will saying the good news is not for you. Why? Because they were not willing to admit they need to be rescued. Think about it. They wanted to say, we're fine, bring vengeance on them. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. We all need rescue. And if you're not willing to accept it, I'll find somebody else who will. So this is the first thing I want you to know. This is my first point. Is that you've got to admit you need to be rescued. You would need to admit you need to be rescued. This is what the Jews in Jesus' hometown, his, his friends and even family members were unwilling to admit. They thought they were fine and everyone else needed the judgment. But Jesus said, no, 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 we all need rescued. We all need to be rescued. You've got to admit your need. But in their pride, they were unwilling to be like that widow or like Naaman the general who humbled themselves, abased themselves, did anything they could to be rescued. And Jesus is saying, they are the example, not you. So humble yourselves. Admit you need to be rescued. This is so critical. We have to admit we need to be rescued. We have to be like the prisoners who admit, I have done wrong. I have sinned. I know I need to be rescued. If you meet people in prison that are followers of Jesus, they will admit more than anybody else, I need to be rescued. I talked with a man after the first service. He said, I spent 11 years in prison. I know how much I need to be rescued. 
And that's what Jesus is saying. You have to admit that too. Every single one of us is struggling with sin and suffering. And you know why this is so important and why I'm telling you this message today? It's because we're here in Stapleton. Stapleton, one of the wealthiest zip codes in Denver. The most educated zip code in the state, which is one of the most educated states in the nation. We look good in Stapleton. Our houses look good. Our seven miles of walking trails look good. Everybody's white picket fences with 2.3 kids, a cat and a dog, a Tesla and some solar panels on the roof. And we got it all together, right? We look good. Now, some of you in here, you're, you're like the woman I was talking about in Nebraska saying, I know I need an, I have an addiction. I'm struggling with sin and guilt. I need to be rescued. But there's other in you in here who are like these Jews in Nazareth thinking, I'm fine. I'm here in Stapleton. But here's the reality. You need to be rescued most of all. Because in your pride and self-righteousness, you don't even realize how desperate you are for help. That your house may look great on the outside, but your home is in shambles. You might be doing great in your career, but your marriage is failing. You're not much better than roommates. You might say we have it all together financially, but you're dealing with anxiety and stress and depression that you can't get over. And Jesus is saying, you have to admit you need to be rescued. I'm here. I'm the rescuer, but just admit it. And sadly, people say no and reject him, even wanting to kill him, as happened in his day. And I pray that you will not respond to Jesus in the gospel that way. I pray that you will be like the next group of people we're going to read about in the second half of Luke chapter 4. Because Jesus somehow slipped out of the crowd as they were this, this mob that was trying to murder him. He slipped away. Maybe it was a miracle. We don't know. But then he went back to Capernaum. So he traveled north back to that town of Capernaum where he had already been accepted. And it says that he went on the Sabbath again to preach. I think probably this was the next week. That's what Luke is trying to tell us. One week he's driven out of town, almost murdered by his own people. And then the next week he goes even farther into Gentile territory with all those sinners to Capernaum. And that's where he goes to that synagogue I showed you some video footage of. And he was there probably going to preach just like he had the week before. But in this synagogue, I love this, there was a man possessed by a demon. You know, this is where the sinners are, right? Even in church. Like, this is not the church most of us pick out. See, in Nazareth, it was like, this is our clique. We're all good, upright Jewish people. But over there, there's there's a demon-possessed man coming in. And this man walks in and starts yelling, yelling at Jesus in the middle of the service. Get out! Can you imagine that? Have you ever been a part of a worship service where someone yells at the preacher? I actually have a few times. It's crazy, and everybody's like, what the heck is going on? We're supposed to... And the, the security team didn't go up there and try to like grab uh, this demon-possessed man and wrestle him down. But instead, Jesus looked at him and in one word said, Be gone. And that demon was cast out of that man and he was healed in that moment. And it says what's so fascinating, this is a completely different response in, in this sinful, demonic even, uh, synagogue. It says in verse 36 and 37, All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread. Do you see that? The news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. See, they don't reject Jesus. They say, he is the rescuer. He does have power, and I want everyone to know about it. They not only have admitted they need help. Hey, we've got a demon that's one of our deacons. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. 
We need help. We're admitting our need for rescue, but we want everyone else to be rescued as well. So the whole region, all the Gentiles, everybody's got to hear about this. I don't care if they're upright Jews like us. No, no, no. We need help. They need help. And they spread the news. That same day, he gets invited to dinner right afterwards. And this wasn't like, hey, come over for fried chicken after church today. I want you to see this. This is interesting because it says in verse 38, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Simon, Simon Peter. He's going to be pretty important here in the Gospel of Luke. So so keep that in mind, especially next week. We'll see him again. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. She was sick. There was no hospital to go to in those days. Okay, there was no ibuprofen she could take to get her fever broken. She was struggling, maybe even on the death's doorstep. And they asked Jesus to help her. They didn't say, hey, come over for Sunday lunch. They said, we need your help. You are the rescuer. Come rescue this woman who's struggling and suffering and sick and heal her. See, they admit their need for help and they're trying to get everybody else to get helped. And then it goes on when Jesus did heal this mother-in-law and immediately it says she was back and she was up on her feet serving them. (laughs) That's how quick and miraculous her recovery was. She's like, okay, I I was lying there almost dead and now I'm going to serve you that fried chicken you've been looking for for so long. But then in verse 38, it says Jesus left, I'm sorry, in verse 40, at sunset, I'm I'm making Kevin go back and forth. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. They're like, if you can heal that person, if you're the rescuer, you've got to rescue everyone. Everybody, like they're bringing in people with like cuts and bruises. I mean, it's not even people like that are lepers and fevers and almost dead. They're bringing everyone. Just heal them, heal them, heal them. We want everyone to know that you are the rescuer. Do you see the difference in response in this town? Do you see it? You see it? In, in one town, they're like, we don't need you. We're good. Get out of here. Kill him. In the next town, they're like, we need this help and we want everyone else to know about it. See, here's one of the great things. When you do realize that Jesus is on a rescue mission, when you've admitted that you need to be rescued, the next thing you're going to do is help someone else to be rescued. You're going to help someone else to be rescued. You're going to say, I want somebody else to know this Jesus. I know somebody else who is struggling with addiction and suffering, who is struggling, and they need this help. Someone that has a terrible marriage, they need it to be repaired. They need Jesus. That's what happens when we hear about Jesus. We want other people to know about Jesus. We want other people to be rescued just like we have been rescued in our own life. I got this sinner you got to meet. <laughs> so we say to Jesus. And I love that they're all, every single one of us is bringing these people to Jesus, one after another after another to be healed because they know he's the rescuer. And I think that we are supposed to do the same thing today. And what's really cool is we've been seeing that here in our church. We've been seeing that here in our church as people are inviting other people, even just simply inviting them to come to church. I remember one uh, Sunday I I woke up, walked up to this woman, Alexa, who's one of the people going on this team to Estonia. I said, hey, I met her for the first time. She said, this is my first Sunday. I said, well, how did you find out about us? She said, well, I'm staying at an Airbnb and the woman who's hosting me, Stephanie, some of you know, invited me to her church. She said, you've got to go. And now Alexa's coming and she's inviting other friends. Or another woman I met and she sa- I said, why are you here? And she said, oh, my Uber driver <laughs> told me about this church. I've got to be here. Hey, you guys are inviting your friends. This is so powerful. Uh, another woman, Sarah, on Sunday night, she already invited one of her friends, her colleagues from school, but then last two weeks she's invited her sister to come too. She says, I want everyone to be rescued by Jesus. This is just a simple thing. Did you know this? That only 10% of adults come to faith in Jesus Christ because of a pastor? 
Mm. It's because you are the ones helping someone else to be rescued. It may be simple as inviting them to church, getting to know them, but most of the time it's a family member or a friend. Okay? We're helping someone else to be rescued. These are simple things you can do, inviting someone to church. Another thing you can do is just listen to people. Because when you listen to people, you'll find out that yes, they may look good on the outside, but inside they are hurting. They are struggling and suffering. And then you can say, well, I know the healer. I know the rescuer. I heard a story from Kinton and Aaron Chan. They're in the front. I'm going to embarrass them a little bit. That when Aaron was in the hospital to deliver uh, and have her baby Judah, <laughs> that Kinton made it his mission to talk with every nurse and ask if they could, how they could be praying for the nurses and medical staff. Okay, and, and even one woman finally said, yeah, you know, I'm struggling with infertility. And could you imagine being a, a labor and delivery nurse struggling with infertility? And they prayed for her. Because they listen to her and they feel like, you are suffering and in need. And I know the rescuer. Those simple things that we can do are helping someone come to know the rescuer. It's really interesting. At the end of this chapter, Jesus is there in Capernaum. They're bringing all these people to him. And it says they didn't want him to leave. You can see why, right? Jesus is healing all these people. uh, My guess is at this point, he's already healed every person possible in the town. But they're like, we want you to stay just in case somebody else gets sick in the future. We just, just stay here, Jesus. We need you here. But Jesus responds to him and he said, no, 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 you, you don't get it. You don't get it. And this is what he says. Verse 43. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. I am on a rescue mission. And it doesn't stop here. We've got to take it everywhere. There are more people who need to know me, who need to be healed and to be rescued and be brought out of the slavery and addiction and the suffering and the struggle that they've had for so many years. And I am the rescuer and more people to need to know about me. I can't stay here. That's what Jesus was saying to them. And what's really amazing, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is John 20, 21. Jesus makes this so clear. He said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If I am on a rescue mission, so are This is why we need to go out and say, I need to help someone else to be rescued by this Jesus. We're on this rescue mission now too, if you follow him, if you have been rescued. It's not to stay with you. It needs to go out to somebody else. And that is what Jesus is saying because he is the rescuer and he alone is the rescuer. You want to know some good news about this? You don't need to rescue him. Isn't that good news? When you find the addict and you're like, I have no idea how to help you overcome this, well, you don't have to. Okay? Just take them to Jesus. If you find the person who is struggling because they're just coming out of a long prison sentence, they have a felony, they don't know how to get a job, or, you don't need to know how to do any of that stuff. You just need to tell them about Jesus. There's other help that we can give, but the first thing, they've got to know Jesus because He and He alone is the rescuer, not us. We can't forgive someone's sins. Only Jesus can, and He did Because at the end of his life, he was rejected once again by his people and they put him on a cross and they murdered him. But he did that willingly, dying for us so that our sins could be atoned for and that rescue could be fully realized at the cross. That's good news. And if Jesus is the rescuer, we've got to do whatever we can to join him on that rescue mission.
Simple things, right? Inviting him to church, telling him. I have this great quote from the preacher, D.T. Niles. He said, um, I'm making Kevin work for his money today. Jumping back and forth. He says, the man or woman, this is a few hundred years ago, right? The man or woman who does most good to souls is often the simple believer who says to his friend, I have found a Savior. Come and see him. So we're going to finish up this this, uh, service today in a little bit different manner than we normally do. You know, whenever we send out a global outreach team or, or we have somebody going to become a full-time missionary or whatever, we bring them up on stage and we, we all kind of reach out and we pray for that person from the seats, right? Well, we're going to reverse that today. Because what Jesus is saying is that we're all on that mission. We're all to be those people taking the rescue mission out around us to our friends and neighbors and coworkers to tell them about Jesus and to help them to be rescued. So if you are here today and you say, I want in on that mission... I believe that's what I've been called to do and I'm going to do whatever I can to help someone follow Jesus. You're going to be rejected. (laughs) Jesus was, you don't have any hope of not being rejected sometimes, right? You're not as winsome as he is. You're going to be rejected. Even people are going to want to hate you and and even kill you. That does happen today. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. It's going to happen, but guess what? It's worth it because there is a rescuer and he does rescue people again and again and again and again. So if you want to join Jesus on that mission today, I want you to stand up right now. I want you to stand up, okay? If you're, willing, if you're saying, I'm not sure, I, I don't know about this Jesus, you can stay seated. Hey, no judgment here. We love you. But if you're, you're here and you're saying, I'm on this mission, I'm on board, I want to help people follow Jesus, I want you to stand up because I want to pray for you and send you out today, okay? Lord God, we come before you because we are willing to say we need help. We need rescue. We are sinners. We are guilty. We have shame. We have brokenness. We have poverty. And we need help. We need rescue, God. And we're asking your son Jesus through his death on the cross to rescue us from whatever it is that is holding us back, Lord God. Forgive us our sins. Heal us of our brokenness. Bring us out of trial and lead us into triumph. And Lord God, I pray that we would go out of here not only knowing that you have rescued us, but that we can join you on that rescue mission, Lord. We are sent just like you are sent, and we want to join in that, and we want to see Northeast Denver come to know you and be rescued. Lord God, send us out from this place in the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can see lives transformed by the rescuer. Amen. We'll see you next week.